I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey everyone, welcome to Waypoint's new rewatch podcast. We don't have a title, Waypoints, Vice Waypoints, we would just go back to one of the old ones if you want to help us, let us know. Vice's new rewatch Vice's podcast. Vice's new rewatch. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that one can get through legal. Vice City Rewatch. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, a highly original idea. We're going to rewatch something and talk about it. Um, movies, TV Here shows. Waypoint likes to watch. <laughs> no. <laughs> Rob? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna recenter myself. Bring it back. Poltergeist is a great movie. Uh, to kick things off uh, with the spooky month of October and chilly temperatures on the horizon, uh, we're gonna rewatch all the Purge movies. That's the 2013 The Purge, 2014's The Purge Anarchy. I guess they tw- take 2015 off. Just too much purging. 2016's The Purge <laughs> Election Year, and then uh, 2018's uh, The First Purge. And then we might take a dip into the TV series that started uh, over on USA uh, back in September. Um, today we're going to start with the first movie, uh, The Purge. It's uh, written and directed by uh, James DeMonico, uh, who uh, co-wrote the Robin Williams movie Jack and the remake of John Carpenter's Assault on Precinct 13, which is a good movie. That is a good movie. The original. Yeah. I yeah. have not seen the remake. And The Negotiator, which I remember being a good movie, I but love, I don't know if it actually so DeMonico is. has kind of a theme he likes, huh? Like, yeah. man, Pete, like... Bottle episodes. What yes. is that? But like, <laughs> nothing but for hours. So the uh, the conceptual setup for The Purge is pretty simple. Uh, for one night each year, all crime is legal. Uh, the movie opens uh, with this. Well, you guys all started talking, so I guess I should introduce everyone. It's d- destroyed my flow. I'm going to stop. With, I'm not going to get to the quote. It's fine. It's fine. Um, it's the, There's anarchy in one of the titles, so it might as well be in the podcast, too. So uh, joining me uh, is uh, Rob Zachney. Can I talk now? Yeah. Sorry. You're allowed. <laughs> You're allowed to talk about your feelings about uh, talking is legal for the next twelve hours. <laughs> <laughs> Rob Zachney's talking is legal for the next twelve hours. Uh Danielle Riendo. Hi, all all podcast crimes are legal for twelve hours. Ooh. It's Austin Walker. Ooh. Crimes might be happening outside of your house right there now. There are crimes <laughs> happening outside of my house, and that crime's name is construction. I'm going to do my best to clean up this file before I send it over to Kado to be edited. Uh, but, you know, sometimes sometimes people want to build things, and sometimes people want to burn things down. And we'll get to explore both in this, this new watch podcast. It's true. And finally, Natalie Watson, whose gravelly voice joins us and with a little bit of sniffling on the side. Sorry. Oh, God. Sorry, that was a bad one. I didn't think it was going to be that, that bad. Was, I honestly yeah. did not think it was going to be that bad. I'm embarrassed. I might, have to, I might have to clean this up, too. I don't no, know. No, don't. Leave it in. Leave Making it in. Making all those messes. Maybe if you want to, like, start chewing some food and just get real close to your mic, too. Yeah. Um, this is an asthma rewatch podcast, right? Exactly. Uh-huh. I don't okay. like the way that word sounds. Asthma. That just... That's because mm. it's not meant to be said like that at all. <laughs> 
Um, well, before we get to, to The Purge and I'll set up the movie, I kind of want to just kind of go around the room and sort of gauge, like, people's feelings on, like, horror. Uh, like, it's a genre that gets, like, polarized reactions. Some people, like myself, um, I think Danielle, like, are both, like, enthusiasts. Um, uh, then other people kind of dip in and out. Um, so, I guess, Natalie, like, what is what is your relationship with the sort of the genre as a whole? Uh, my relationship with the genre is my mother loves wow <laughs> dark my mother loves horror horror films so i started watching scary movies from a very young age and so for most of my life i was like totally cool with it and like just would watch them with her because i knew it made her happy like what what are we talking because there's like they're they're showing like the, the level of horror like it's jo- like jaws could be a horror movie at a certain age and then true, there's true true you know a nightmare on elm street those are those are different categories the of horror the first the first horror movie that i have in my consciousness was uh darkness falls and okay. i was 8 and i was in guatemala at the time and it was very spooky and my my family loves to scare each other as well so anytime we get material from a horror movie, it is now like, like fair game, free, yeah, fair game to be used <laughs> against each other. So, um, very quickly after that, I was very over the Tooth Fairy. Did not really care for her anymore. And that—that <laughs> uh, that is a movie about a demonic Tooth Fairy. If you did not know, yes. Um, more recently, I just started getting back into horror again. I was really not into it for a little bit because. I have a problem with the way that images and things stick in my head. Mm-hmm. And so, but recently I started watch, I guess with the Conjuring movies and with Hereditary, it was like when I started getting back into horror. Um, just have been interested in the in the ways that they're, that horror is engaging with like the current like political context and things like that. I've I've been more interested in it as less as entertainment and more as like social commentary um, because I don't like getting scared. But I'm interested in what horror can say about the world. Yeah, the last five years, really, The Conjuring was around a sort of a tipping point for mainstream horror in which there have been a lot of really good films in the years since that The Babadook, It Follows, like movies that, you know, use horror as like a, a rapper, as a like context to like touch on like larger subjects in society. And so, Danielle, we just talked about on Waypoints, you know, about going to Halloween Horror Nights. You also have a family that likes to be scared. So like, were you, you like Natalie, someone that also was watching stuff at, a, at an early age? Yeah, probably way too young. Uh, one of the first things I remember watching as a four-year-old was uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, which by the way, there Hell was a yeah. scare zone. Love that movie. Yeah. Exactly, and it's like a, f- a terrible, you know, like it's a goofy, it's basically comedy horror or sort but of But the puppets the are fucking terrifying. Yup. They are really, really scary. And I remember watching the only actually really scary scene in that movie, which is like where a clown tries to lure like a young girl out of like a pizza party. I remember watching that scene as a four-year-old in the 80s and like being scared out of my mind and like running out of the room. I remember <laughs> going uh, on... A- so Alien is my favorite movie of all time, just bar sure. none. Yeah. And I remember going choice. on uh, the Great Movie Ride in Walt Disney World at a very young age. I think I was about eight. And there's a vignette in that ride where the alien actually kind of jumps out at you. You sort of you see Ripley kind of hanging out in one area, being really terrified. And then all of a sudden the alien comes out from the side. And then the alien comes out from the ceiling. And from then on, I was absolutely hooked. 
both uh, terrified and completely fascinated and hooked and horror and sci-fi have always been kind of my favorite genres. So love it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm on the, the same page as you. I've been watching horror for uh, a long time. Although for me, like the reason I mentioned Jaws was because when I growing up, maybe, uh, my family spent a lot of time at a lake house in Wisconsin and be a lot of time swimming and going on like friends boats and stuff like that. And, uh, there was like a rainy couple of days. And so my parents were like, Oh, like we had some friends up from out of town. Like they just rented all the jaws movies. Um, we just happened to Austin's camera. What is that? Austin, <laughs> what what so really happened to me? Austin's camera. You, no one's gonna be able to understand this. I don't it flipped feel upside so down. Good. It's flashing. Mr. Klepik, I don't feel so good. What <laughs> the fuck? Can so, you? for those of you listening at home, Austin just flipped one. on his head um, and is it now is dangling blinking. down from the ceiling. The color is all screwed up. He's like in this neon tube, and it's flickering really fast. I, so I think badly, the killer clowns are coming for Austin. I, I so badly wish are. I could do the Red Room speaking backwards. So badly. Patrick, do you cap this? Yeah, we got some. Use that new some, hotkey. I got, yeah, we got a couple. <laughs> got some, use your snipping tool. <laughs> we got is, some snips. We got some this snips. This is gonna I'm have gonna, to be the. <laughs> Why'd you turn <laughs> the yeah, okay. yeah, I just you know it's been dying for a while, so. Oh yeah. So wow. the, my parents during this rainy weekend uh, rented all of the Jaws films, or at least the first three. Uh, think it would just be like a fun thing, and instead. It utterly like ruined the water for us for the rest of the summer. <laughs> oh, no. Where if we refused to go into the lake, despite even at the time rationally understanding that there wasn't a shark there, but hey, sharks who says they can't go up a river and find their way here? I don't know how this lake Biology. is constructed. Are there pipes? <laughs> sharks could maybe get through pipes. I don't know. I mean, this is what a seven year old, you know, tells us. Sewer sharks. There's always a exactly. chance. Yes. Exactly. Always a chance. And it even uh uh like influenced when I was in the pool. Like I knew I would tell myself I'd be in the deep end, but you'd look down at a grate and just be like, man, I don't know. Jaws is crafty. He tracks this. He seems to track this one family over and over through the movies as though he has a vendetta. So who knows what sharks are capable of? Um, and then, uh, so I, I don't know, I've watched horror films sort of just like any like young kid does. And I had an obsession with the X-Files and aliens. And so I had interactions with like horror adjacent movies, like fire in the sky, which is a terrifying abduction film from the nineties. Um, and, and X-Files often qualified as horror or at least thriller. Um, and then in college, when I met uh, my wife, she, like you, Danielle, and Natty, like, was deeply exposed to horror films, like, at a, a, an age which was highly inappropriate. Although it's got me thinking, well, you people aren't screwed up, so I plan to indoctrinate my child into <laughs> yeah, horror films. Yeah, I was wondering, like, literally what, you, as soon what is as your possible. plan? <laughs> I haven't found something to scare her yet, so I'm just going to keep pushing the line until I find it. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, so then she wanted to watch – when we started dating was around Halloween and AMC I think still does like a whole month-long uh, uh, just like the all-day show are horror films. Like this is pre-Mad Men. This is back when they were the you know American movie channel and all they showed was just films. And so they would do all these horror movies and we got into Hellraiser and Puppet Master and it started this like journey of appreciation to horror as a genre and to, to where it's something now that – I don't just I, I like being scared, but I also like to think about it academically and as like a genre. And so it has become sort of a if like video games are like hobby A, like horror films are like very much like hobby B and something that I try and think about seriously and enjoy uh, engaging with like more than just like 
you know, uh, a haunted house. Um, but Robin Austin, uh, what, what about the the two of you? Like, where do where do you fall on the horror scale? <laughs> there's like, um, you know, I, I there's there are horror. Hmm, how do I think about this? Okay. I think my initiation to horror is weird because there's so many subgenres of horror, and I was right. initiated into them in different ways. Um, I think about something like science fiction horror, things like Alien, Terminator, The Fly, Predator, Scanners, all films I watched with my dad when I was like 10 or 11 or 12 or 13, right? Like I, very early, the science fiction element meant that there was an entry path because he liked sci-fi, I liked sci-fi, and even though those were structurally and kind of formally had the qualities of horror films, things like the um, prop design and the world building allowed for me to enter into that space and not be frightened, if that makes sense. Sure. It's like, oh, it's wow. Not, this it's not is... purely just about, like, a monster coming around the corner. Right. It's and like the fly, be... the fly. I mean, the fly is a horror film. I mean, that's a body uh, yes, horror film. That's a body horror film. unique type uh, I mean, of, of nightmare. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Videodrome also, right? Like, um, uh, but I love those movies because of the world building. And I never felt particularly afraid. Like, I, I was interested to see how things shook out and, and, and was thrilled, but not necessarily frightened. I was terrified of, like, Freddy Krueger and Jason. I was terrified of slasher uh, flicks uh, and didn't – but also didn't encounter them except by proximity to, like, my cool aunt and uncle who loved horror films and raised their kids watching horror films all the time. <laughs> um, uh, so I just, like – I should have didn't watch those. Or I watched clips of those at a friend's house at a party as a teen, but, like, was even through my teenage years, like, not into those. Um and then there were the, and I think part of that was like the the other way I got into horror. The my other early experiences with horror were like the worst ones. I, I tweeted about these earlier, or, or like last week. There was that that meme going around, the one that was like um, your earliest thing that really got in, under your skin from a movie or a game or whatever. You know, kind of your, your first yeah. scare. Um, and the two that I I talked about were um, uh, the the. Um, Hitchhiker story from Creepshow Two. Uh, sure. uh, the the what is it? Um, what's the fucking guy say? I, I've now come. Thanks, thanks for the ride. Thanks for the ride, lady. Thanks for the ride, lady. Uh, that one I watched when I was like six or seven and staying at my grandparents' house just after my mom's brain surgery. Is Creepshow Two the one that has where the kids are also swimming and the then raft, like the yes. pool mat, the raft yes. that they're on turns into a thing that eats them? Yes, oh. totally. Which didn't get me as bad. Um, what got me way worse was The Hitchhiker. It was like this story right. about like I don't know, like failing to be personally responsible and then having that bite you in the ass. I, you know, I straight up imagined I saw the fucking hitchhiker in my grandmother's like a house like Jesus. coming for me, like 100%. Um, and then I saw Event Horizon thinking it would be more yes. like Alien. And oh, like buddy, my dad, my uncle, a... and I left that movie theater like, well, we just went through that, huh? Um, and then it just kind of like went away. Like, I just didn't see horror movies through my high school years pretty much at all, again, outside of sci-fi or, or, or thrillers, you know, Silence of the Lambs and like the, the rash of Morgan Freeman and Denzel Washington uh, ad book adaptations that were like serial killer thrillers, right, mm -hmm. or Seven or things like that. Um, but then I got to college and one of my best friends was deep into horror and started showing me things like um, the Masters of Horror uh, anthology. And so I look at something like John Carpenter's Cigarette Burns. Uh, was like the first John Carpenter thing I saw in my life. Maybe, maybe I'd seen they. Mm, Before I, that, the thing. 
Before the thing. Yeah, absolutely. Because wow. it was short. It was like, oh, yeah, come over, watch this one hour long, you know, whatever movie by, by John Carpenter or whatever, 90 minutes or whatever it was. Um, and then from there, I was like, oh, now I'm, I'm in. I want to I learn about the history of horror and, and uh, picked it up. And that was, you know, 15 years ago now or whatever. So it's been a minute uh, since, since my friend Anthony opened, opened the dark gate. Uh, <laughs> but, but since then, I've, I have like a, a distant but academic interest, I'd say. Like, or, or, or I'm... I'm happy to watch pretty much anything in the horror space outside of like torture porn, outside of like, you know, the hostile films or Human Saw. Centipede. Uh, Saw I can do because Saw has enough of a weird plot and mind game thing going on. Mm. Um, but ironically, self aware and goofy in a well, way that like there's a there's a so there you know both Saw and Hostile Fall and like the torture porn yes. genre, but their sensibilities, their approach, their uh, Saw is a B movie, right? Like yes, hundred percent. It's it's self serious in a way that is uh, cheeky, whereas Hostel is indulgent and just shocking. Uh, uh, like and when it's, I it just one of the funniest things, real quick, is my friend Anthony, the one who got me into horror films, left the theater during Saw. We went to see Saw together, and he couldn't sit through it. So it's one of those things. Is like this is the person who spent watching horror films his whole life, but something right. about Saw pushed him over the edge, and I was huh. fine. I was like one hundred percent fine with being in that theater um, after years of not even wanting to say the word horror film, you know, just in case someone would make me watch one. So uh, people have different tolerances, is what I is what I would say. Was it blood? Was it like a no? He's fine with gore. Realistic- I think it or, or was. Or I guess I mean, um, not blood, but slightly more realistic violence than what you see often in horror movies. He, that's the thing. Like he'd watched plenty of films with, you know, bodies opening up and stuff. You know what I mean? I think it was mm. the premise. I think it was the feeling of inescapability. Um, gotcha. That it, those characters are agents, but only barely, right? Like that is mm-hmm. that they're they're mice in a maze, um, and I think that that was really really hard for him at the time. Um, so cool. yeah. not to psychoanalyze my friend, Anthony shout out. Rob, what about you? Never liked horror or, or I hadn't given enough of a chance to know for sure. But like when I was young, I was very good. I think like, like Natalie images would stick in my head. And once I had seen something, especially if it was bad, I just relive the shit out of that for like <laughs> what felt like years as yep. a child. I'd be sitting home alone and like, oh, that scene is here, but now I'm transposing it like to my house, right? So like even pretty inoffensive things like, you know, when you're a little kid and you see the T-1000 and Terminator 2, that's pretty fucking scary. Like that's an action movie, but like when you're a little kid, that whole premise, premise yeah. this unrelenting, like menacing being that just passes through walls and just like mercilessly stalks you down, even that would like mess with me and I could just like conjure that thing into my house at any time basically the other thing is um, so I could I could handle suspense but even that stuff would be like um, I would live forever in that moment before a disaster happens like mm. when you're in the stalker cam and it's a handheld shot but it's like really slow moving and deliberate and you're sort of like watching someone unaware going through the routine like I would entirely like mentally inhabit that space and just found that this like awful like psychological prison uh, that I did not want to visit. That started to change, I think, just because like you get older, you get more desensitized to stuff, so stuff doesn't stick as much as it used to. And I started getting more into like I was I didn't see Alien until like 2009. Never wow. saw. It. 
like 2009, 2010, I was playing the Brattle in, uh, in Cambridge. And that was the first time I'd seen, seen Alien. And that was kind of like, and this is, this sounds really silly and naive, uh, but that was sort of a pivotal moment where I was like, oh shit, like, suspense pushing into horror can be like really tremendous filmmaking. And so I've, I've sort of been broadening my horizons with that stuff. Uh, my old roommate showed me the thing. Uh, for the first time, like last year, uh, wow. and that I'm so jealous owned. to experience these movies for the first time, dude. It was like a stormy night, and oh, like so, God. we were all just like hanging out in the living room, and like just a storm raging outside, and God. it was winter, and so we watched the thing, and it just oh. it owned. Uh, but watch the thing, everybody watch the. Th- I'm gonna know the thing. We're like no one has watched Natalie. the thing. I Natalie watched the thing. The thing. Okay. You should oh, watch the thing. And make sure point. you're watching the original because I think they're both titled The Thing. I've never and there was seen one any from of like them. Five the 1982, years ago. No. John Car- 82 yeah. version. John yeah, yeah, yeah. The original of the, the Thing is a 1950 something. Yeah. Oh, wow. Which also not a bad movie, but like it's not John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah. Uh, really quick, the thing that I just realized helped me a lot with horror films, like a lot, a lot, is Wikipedia. If 13 year old Austin could have looked up the entire plots of horror films ahead of time or read along to be like, okay, I don't want to be looking at the screen right now, but I do want to be like understanding what's happening or I want, or just like multitasking in general. I want to be playing destiny Two and also watching this <laughs> horror film. Um, all, all those things help a lot, but especially being able to be like, you know, which is like, a, 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 I'm vouching for content warnings in a sense here. Right. Which is like, Hey, it is way less stressful and, and anxiety inducing to go into a thing where you're like, aha, this is what the scene is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can still enjoy the films that way. Like I, 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 there are still I don't do it with everything. Obviously, there are plenty of horror films I go watch in in the theaters. You know, and I'm like, oh wow, that was really scary. Uh, but a lot of times when I'm watching something that's particularly um, stressful or particularly scary to me, I'll, I'll definitely look up a, a, a summary. And, and you know, that's you know, part of that is uh, driven by like real shitty tropes in the horror genre. Yeah. Like uh, horror has a long history of uh, violence and. Uh, sexual exploitation of women that is used like for shock value and uh, there's a whole subgenre called revenge porn that is like explicitly built on women who are sexually assaulted and then hunt down and kill like the people that did it to them in horrifying grotesque ways so yeah like they're they're outside of just like your maybe you're claustrophobic or any other sort of phobia or any other trigger you might have like especially like horror like has a long history of like using really shitty things to try and shock you and so that's that all that all makes a lot of sense so with that let uh let's move on to uh the purge so the conceptual setup for the purge and we're going to spoil the whole movie mm-hmm. we're not there's not a spoil section it's just you've seen it and in it. so just be, be prepared <laughs> for that um we're currently in the purge right now exactly so. i fucking um, hope not <laughs> we'll give it time yeah, yeah. Uh, the conceptual setup for The Purge is, is pretty simple. It's like for every night, uh, for one night every year, uh, all crime is legal. Uh, the movie opens with this quote to kind of set up the world. Uh, America, 2022, unemployment is at 1%. Crime is at an all-time low. A violence barely exists, with one exception. Blessed be the new founding fathers for letting us purge and cleanse our souls. Blessed be America, a nation reborn. <laughs> Uh, and then we sort of cut to an opening credits sequence uh, in which we watch silent surveillance footage of the various killings, buildings on fire, or there's all manners of death and destruction against lots of people, um, usually from a distance with, like, security cameras and stuff like that. And um, 
the the movie itself, we're following this like sort of rich white family, uh, and the, the white noting that they're white will be important <laughs> later. Yeah. Um, uh, preparing for for this year's purge, the father who's played by Ethan Hawke, who I'm going to stop there because I want to use the introduction of Ethan Hawke to very quickly. Danielle, can you please explain your Ethan? We have a, a personal connection to, to Ethan Hawke. Yeah, I had a really cute Ethan Hawke run-in a couple of months ago. I was at a coffee shop. It's just cute. It's a cute story. There's no purging. This is a, yeah, completely just a cute story. We're at a coffee shop, and a guy with, like, a hat and sunglasses comes in with his very attractive wife. And that was whatever. I didn't even recognize him at that point. I got my coffee. I sat outside. And it was, there was a little girl and her dog, and she was trying to show myself and my friend how the dog could do a trick. Like, Kelsey, do this. And Kelsey was not doing this. Very cute dog. It was like a golden retriever. Adorable. Eventually, the dog did the trick. And then out walks, who I then recognized as Ethan Hawke and his wife. And they both kind of said, like, oh, hey, how you doing? You know, whatever. Because we were chatting with the, the daughter and the dog. And we, all, we both kind of sat there like, oh, that's who that is. Well, your dog is cute and your daughter is wonderful. So, uh, peace. Uh, love, loved you in uh, Gattaca. Cool. <laughs> so Same. That's the whole thing. It was just a hilarious little like, oh, that's who you are. Little kind of thing. <laughs> that's very good. That's very good. So uh, Ethan Hawke, he sells home security systems designed to insulate uh, people from the purge. It seems that he's selling this like largely to uh, upper middle class or straight up rich uh, neighborhoods. Um, his wife um, is played by, hmm, I've never pronounced her name, Lena Hedy? Hedy? So. I think that's right. Yeah. Um, and I would say something about her character except that like she's – Wildly underwritten, and we don't actually learn much about her. We don't even does she work? Is she a stay-at-home mom? Ah, we don't know. And this she is also like endemic. Carbs. That's all we know. About yeah, it. She, yeah. She worked out at one point. Uh, she takes takes care of herself. Uh, horror movies tend to uh, not just underwrite uh, the, the women in the film, but just character. Whether there are actual characters is like <laughs> it depends on the horror film. Um, there, there are two children. Uh, there who are both uh, kind of tropey. There's the smart nerdy son who plays with electronics, and sort of the grumpy older sister who uh, is frustrated because she can't be with the boy she loves because her her dad doesn't approve. And so um, when the the purge commences, like the family locks down their house. There are big metal barricades that go over the windows and doors. They live, I guess we should say, like in a uh, really like really rich neighborhood they've just finished putting on a fancy massive addition to their house that was fueled by him being uh selling all these security systems um and like their house basically transforms into sort of like a fortress um and then everyone kind of like scatters to go do their own thing this family does not seem like they particularly like each other is the dynamic that that is uh sort of pitched by the movie um and not long into the night, the the son, um, who had previously, like, there are moments where he expresses some skepticism over sort of the, like, argued usefulness of the purge as a concept. Um, he notices this uh, homeless black man who's bloodied and bruised, and he's running through the streets asking for help. Um, and he ultimately, in, like, sort of a, a moment of, uh, I mean, the, the you know, some of the characters argue weakness, like, I think for most other people would argue empathy, uh, shuts down the security system, lets him in. Um, and eventually, as the, the family is dealing with this, uh, these group of purgers uh, show up wearing these creepy masks. They demand the release of this person. And this is going to set up uh, this first clip that we're going to play. You heard the audio of it. We'll put the actual video um, in the show notes. But um, this clip, I think, sets up a lot of the political stakes, the ideological stakes of the movie that we can start, start dissecting uh, based on uh, this conversation.
That one's saying something. Did I miss a sand in? Your home tells me you're a good folk, just like us. One of the halves. And your blue flowers tell me that you support the purge. And we want to treat you fairly, so listen closely. Let me introduce us. We are some fine, young, very educated guys and gals. We've gotten gussied up in our most terrifying guises. As we do every year. Ready to violate, annihilate, and cleanse our souls. But things took a turn. Our target escaped us, and, uh... Several of your dear neighbors informed us that you, the Sandins, have inexplicably given him sanctuary. Mr. and Mrs. The man you're sheltering is nothing but a dirty homeless pig. A grotesque menace to our just society who had the audacity to fight back, killing one of us when we attempted to execute him tonight. The pig doesn't know his place and now he needs to be taught a lesson. You need to return him to us. Alive. So that we may purge as we are entitled. Here's the plan, Sandins. You have until our provisions arrive, provisions which will help us break into your elegant home. If you don't, if you don't deliver him by the aforementioned time, we'll release the beast on him. And on you. And um, we can enter any home we want. And we will want, as wanting is our will on this fine night. Don't force us to hurt you. We don't want to kill our own. Please just let us purge. Toodaloo, Sandins. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot going on. In, <laughs> in, I rewatched in, that. In, I rewatched that clip. scene like five times yeah. and like took like a lot of notes of like what was said because that scene just like really, really. Yeah, so I guess like what is there's a lot going on. Like there are some really key phrases, right? There's the the haves. There's uh-huh. the support for the priv, uh for for the purge. Like you know, putting out a, a you know these blue flowers in which you are showing explicit. Uh, ideological support for the purge. There is. Put those American flags on your door. You know. Right. Um, there. There is um, one of us. Um, there is uh, uh, entitled. Right. Um, so there's a lot of like very key phrases in there. So um, I'm curious, Natalie. You said you took a lot of notes. Like like this this specific clip. I think like sort of encapsulates a lot of like the politics of what this movie is saying, or at least laying out. Like, what was your takeaway from from this moment? Um, I think my takeaway was was primarily that, you know, um, I mean, the thing that I took notes on here was like one of the haves, uh, which is immediately creating, you know, a a distance between, I mean, it's pointing to the fact that this community, it's like, it's not supposed to this is not supposed to be taking place here. Like this is, you know, sort of this group, this these members of society, they should be out purging together. Like they should be, you know, one of us. They they should be a part of the group. 
um, rather than which which means that the that the purge is enacted on the other like the the one other like someone that is not you um which is what i got from uh the first bit of the film a lot uh especially the surveillance footage um that they show at the beginning of the film where most of the footage you see is groups attacking an individual um and so yeah it's not it's, I mean, you know, there's some audio clips in that where it's like, I want to, you know, take out my boss or there is some sort of like revenge that could be, you know, uh, uh, located within social groups. But for the most part, it seemed like the purge was uh, meant to be enacted. I mean, they say you can do it on anybody, but there is like a overwhelming theme of like, or uh overwhelming justification of you know cleansing out the other from the society go ahead daniel all right cool so yeah taking off on that absolutely uh agree with you there natalie a couple of notes that i wrote were uh that this guy this uh this dude is basically the alt-right personified Especially how much he's yeah, talking long, about lo- entitlement. Long before that, owed. we had that term, right? You know, yeah, like exactly. this was 2013. Like this is, you know, like this is, pro- this was shot, you know, uh, written, you know, during, you know, the uh, beginning of Obama's second term. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that, that really struck out to me. But a couple of things, just going off of what Natalie said there, especially in that very, very beginning, um, there's so many Clockwork Orange sort of illusions here Ooh. like i couldn't not think of that during the sort of i think they're playing clear de lune over the footage <laughs> yeah. that mm-hmm. sort of surveillance footage very 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 clockwork orangey and very very much uh the idea of sort of gangs like entitled gangs uh this guy is such a droog if you if you know clockwork orange well it just felt very very sort of of a piece of that and one last thing for that kind of beginning that also goes off of what Natalie was saying about other and class and so on and so forth. Another thing that was just so very alt-right is there's a radio clip uh, sort of from the first scene where Ethan Hawke's character is driving. And, uh, you know, it's sort of, it's like a talk radio host, like a really crappy talk radio host. And uh, someone makes the case that like, oh, you know, the poor can't afford security. And the radio host goes, we've all got our own opinions and that one makes this country great. Like very like, (laughs) gotta hear both sides. Gotta hear both sides. It was very, very, there's so many like proto alt-right things here in the beginning of the film and really the whole film, obviously. And God, I just couldn't stop thinking about Clockwork Orange with the masks and the Drew kind of metaphor and that sort of beginning. So a lot of this stuff was evoking that for me. The um, one of the things for me, or two two things. One uh, in this scene, Reese Reese Wakefield, Rice Wakefield, Reese Wakefield. Um, yeah. One, I I cannot help but think he's drawing on Michael Pitt's character from Funny Games. Which, if people haven't seen Funny yes. Games, prep yourself again. Read the Wikipedia page, maybe, and then go watch some Funny Games. And there's there's two of them, right? There there's are, a German there's a, there's original a, film, and then there's a remake yes. from the, the 2000s. It's the same director writing off yes, the same, actually, and it's shot the same way. I think the remake is. Better having seen both of them. Yeah. So if you're going to pick one or two, and also, uh, I think this is present in both of them. Just uh, people understandably think about dogs and like animal yep. abuse. This is also a trope of horror films. That movie has like yep. a really bad moment with that, where even me, who's like pretty desensitized or can get past most of that stuff, like it struck me in a tough way. So like, it just totally ends up. If you spoil fun against yourself, even though there's a twist, it's okay. 
you can still appreciate the movie. Yeah. So the, the other thing I want to I want to note here from this sequence is I, I one it, it is the laying out of the ideology of the purge in its most contradictory form. Um, yeah, I, I kind of think there's like there's two moments or, or there's kind of three moments for me that that kind of show what what the purge what the people who support the purge believe from different angles. Like early on, we have the bit where the the uh, news is running an interview with a psychologist who is explaining this like, oh, we're inherently a violent species. This very kind of like Hobbesian, um, or, or or even I guess um, uh, maybe even maybe even less Hobbes <clears throat> um, and more like Mandeville of just like we are fundamentally violent and and animalistic and that is not something that society should push away it's something we should embrace and we can do it in this one specific way um and and kind of makes that case for it and we see charlie's mom um uh kind of you know kind of uh uh, uh, pushing back his concerns around it early on thinking about Mm -hmm. all the good the purge does and then here we immediately see all of the arbitrary nature and you know danielle i think rightly draws a line to the alt-right but i think it's just as easy to to draw a line to uh more historical fascism to or or even to the tea party of the time when the film was obviously kind of proto alt-right in 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 america uh uh that was uh, rising and and at at power when this film came out um in which the rules certainly apply but they apply more to some than others right the the idea is that anything is is uh, allowed on on the night of the purge except for protecting this homeless man that is now taboo right um and and there is a, a sort of revelation in in this speech that the actual truth of it is that there are those who have something and who, who, uh, what is the exact line? Um, and we will want as wanting as our will on this fine night. That is the core of, of kind of any fascistic movement and everything else is, is flower arrangement to make it look nice around it, right? Uh, it is, it is fundamentally about producing a, a social group for whom the laws do not apply. Um, and, and, I love seeing that here. And then, and then we, we eventually later, and we'll get there, there's another sequence that I think suggests why everyday folks go along with this. Um, but the, the biggest thing from this scene that I just I, I think is so important is the – it's one of the first times that we start to see kind of those – the three classes interact with the people at the very, very, very top um, who are the, the, the purgers out uh, this fine night, um, the upper middle class or upwardly mobile uh, middle class uh, family here, uh, and then and then the, the homeless veteran who is being chased and, and pursued. Um, and it is such a clean scene about how those in the 1% and, the, and those, those super rich, hyper rich, will draw an alliance with the upwardly mobile as a way to the upwardly mobile, but who will never be as rich as them actually <laughs> um, yeah. uh, in order to prevent any sort of class unity with those below them. Uh, there is a sort of condescension in, in this speech that I love the, like you're very elegant home. Like it's, it's as if they're it's saying very like, smarmy in a way. Oh that yeah. Is, like the, the tone of it is, is brilliantly executed because yes. it, the, the performance says a lot that is not as much as the text of the speech says the performance ton, sells the performance the yes yeah sells it and tells you a lot more about this world and the interactions between the classes where like you, you know you have you know the, the the homeless guy on the street is all the way at the bottom but these the distance between Ethan Hawke and the class season and these people is yeah. not that far and yet the speech 
makes it seem as though it's, it's a mile infinite. away. Yeah, exactly. And I should actually say there's probably the fourth category, which is the other people inside of this gated community who will enter the film, re-enter the film later, but they've already shown up and have been like, clearly some tension inside of this because of the upward mobility of the Sandin family, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, you can you can easily look at the, a lot of what's happening here as, you know, deeply fascistic, but also you can you can start making like a pretty credible argument that it's just like a slightly more extreme or uh, or textual version of like modern day Republican oh, yeah. policies. Oh, yeah, right? Like so. So what the, the purge is just like you can make a, a credible argument that just makes manifest what already happens in the long term with like current Republican policy that like ignores and undermines the lower class in which they are slowly killed out because they receive no structural Mm -hmm. support to better themselves. And what the purge does is say, actually, let's just say what we're all thinking. The actual (laughs) end result of these policies is that these people die and the people who are deserving, the, 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 the people who are putting on their bootstraps, who are trying to climb the ladder, like, those people are, are, are worthy. Those people uh, should have the power. And what the purge does is basically just say, like, ah, fuck it. What if we just got rid of those people now instead of waiting generations for them to slowly die out on the streets? Well, yeah. something I just wanted to get into is I think this is an aspect in which the movie has aged pretty well. Yeah. Uh, because I went back and I read some reviews, and one that really leaped out at me was uh, Tasha Robinson's over at The Dissolve. Um, and <clears throat> her view of it is, like, this is an extremely... Uh, heavy-handed sci-fi metaphor and uh, the review actually like says uh, you know it leans so heavily on the metaphor that subtext becomes tediously explained text the purge overplays its hand and sells out its characters and story in order to more forcibly bring home a message a comment on that review said uh, you know if you if you can't film anything that would prove this can reduce crime and proving that it's a worthless idea doesn't make the film any better why start with an absurdity and produce more absurdity and it those reviews are striking to me because, like, the Purge has a far better, like, ha- like sense of the pulse of the country at this moment, yeah. where things are headed, than a lot of, like, the mainstream and a lot of the cultural critics who theoretically are, are tracking this stuff. And so the Purge seems extreme, but what people are missing is that, like, this isn't a, like, this isn't some wild, like, sci-fi premise. I think the game is right there up front when it starts off by telling you unemployment is at 1%. <laughs> it's the it's a ridiculous yeah. metric. Like the entire premise of this movie is like one night a year we all murder each other. But unemployment low record lows. You know and that, the economy is booming. I think it's also a line yeah. that is yeah. trotted out it's as an It's super argument. easy to lower unemployment when you kill the unemployed. And that's yep. and the thing is like how often is that used as like the only barometer of mm-hmm. how the country is doing? Well, are people are people working? Do people have jobs? Then nothing like absolutely nothing else matters uh, in in this worldview. Yeah, but what I didn't understand, well, I guess the thing, the continuity that broke for me in this world is if the purge is being enacted, like, predominantly on the poor, those who cannot afford protection, then, like, I understand the metric, you can say, you know, if, you know, if they're, if people are dead, then they don't have, or the they don't count for jobs or whatever, but who then how is this like society how is this economy like sustaining itself because in that world you need blue collar workers to like make the like physically make the product like i don't know like is it is it all outsourcing like i don't know that's where i like kind of got lost i was like okay if the lower class or the poor are disappearing then how like is the infrastructure of the society like still working 
Um, my Austin, go read ahead. on it is is what someone said earlier, which is like this is allegorical to the sense that these are the people who we already let die, right? Like this is. I don't think it is a mistake that the man pursued by the mob is wearing dog tags and an M65 jacket and is a person of color, right? Like, he dies that year with or without the perch. He is someone who society has already abandoned. These are, they are hunting the subaltern as much as they are hunting simply, like, working class people. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, but also, like, I, I think there is probably something deeply terrifying here, which is two two things. One, uh, there are more people than, than the... There, there will always be more people willing to, to cross the line and take the job the next day. Um, and I suspect, and I'm very, I'm actually super curious to see how the rest of these films play out because I can imagine a world in which one of the lessons of this is that the the people who enact the purge are not only. I'll put it this way, actually. One of the things that you called out earlier was there is the story of the guy who's like, "I'm going to kill my manager." And that story makes it out of the radio. And that's the sort of story you put on the radio because you say, listen, the purge works for you too, even though it doesn't. So I suspect that like a lot of working class people go into work the next day and are like, yeah, that all worked out great for me. You know, maybe one in in 10,000 kills their manager uh, and then maybe 100 or 200 or 300 get killed and the rest show up for work the next day. And that specifically is like a uh, uh, the ways in which uh, complacency and complicity are produced through the like pedestaling of the occasional story that works in the favor of someone in the working class. Uh, I think something else Danielle, here. Uh, sorry, Danielle had had oh, a sorry. hand up just a second ago. Take oh, it's okay. I, you you basically ended up saying it. Uh, I was just going to say very very <laughs> briefly that you know the conservative worldview doesn't necessarily hate the working class if they're working right if they have that crappy terrible job that minimum wage job. Uh, oh, mm. they're, you know, they're doing the service. They're in line. They're in their place. You know, I'm saying this all with scare quotes, of course, that, oh, yeah, that's the place of that person. But somebody who fights back, the veteran in this case is somebody who right. fights back. That's who they want to hunt. That's who they want to get rid of. But, yeah, you, you ended up basically saying that. So sorry. <laughs> Go ahead, Rob. Uh, I think there's another aspect of this, too, where, like, one of the luxury items here is immunity from the purge or at least the illusion of immunity like the scene that follows very closely on that one which i absolutely love it's so is when uh when lena hedy's character starts asking like well are we safe in here and this and ethan Hawke's character who like designs and builds and sells these things and the entire movie has been like perfectly safe best top of the line security system in the world um he immediately says, it looks good. It's strong. People stay away. It's not built for worst case scenarios. Mm-hmm. Is it impenetrable? No. Nothing's impenetrable. They could smoke us out. They could devise a battering ram. I'm sorry, but it's true. And like, oh, so it's it's a great, like, it's a great, <laughs> like, fortress you built, except unless they try the most obvious shit to break into your house. Well, yeah, I mean, the walls will hold, provided nobody uses a battering ram or starts I mean, isn't a fire. is this sort of the, um, what was the, the, the thing that people, like, in the in the 80s and 90s put on their car, the, the red thing that you would put on? Yeah, the, uh, oh, the, the club. The club. Yeah. the club, right? And yeah. so the club is this enormously popular item, uh, especially amongst, like, middle, I mean, my parents, like, bought that. Like, they the whole pitch of the club was this thing that, this big uh, red object that went over your steering wheel and it was supposed to, Thieves can't get into your car. Wait, well, they actually, don't like, work? The club, 
No, it was like <laughs> extremely easy to disable. Um, but it, it was, the, the operating theory was the same reason that you put up like a dog in the backyard sign in front of your house, even if you don't have a dog, yeah. or you put a security sign in front of your house, even if you don't have security. It's that, well, the, the, illu- the illusion of security deters people to then go find those without, right? And security this is, theater, it's a thing. It's the whole point right, of the this, And this is the haves yep. and haves not. Like this is like fills all into the, the theater of privilege as much as it is the actual acquisition of privilege. Right, and, and that's kind of one of the things happening here is that like the Sandins think they're the winners in the society, and they and, and they think like this this entire society is like built to flatter the like middle class striver and think that they have a stake in upholding the system. That's why they put those fucking flowers outside, right? <laughs> we support the purge. We love the purge. It's good, actually. Doesn't matter that they're like clearly both like personally uncomfortable with it. Their kids hate it, but ne- ne- never mind that. Uh, fundamentally, the system works. They used to be nobodies. Now look at them. They built, they built their McMansion hell. Uh, house, <laughs> I support the troops. And put, I support the troops. And, and, I do. And put forts. I mean, up, forts you know, on. yeah, it's well, it's very similar dynamic. Like you support the troops, but you know, the moment you start thinking about actually what's happening in the military industrial yes. complex, like, oh, well, I, no, I don't that 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 part. No, no, but the no, troops. no. But the troops, the purge. The troops. Of course, I support the purge. Yeah. But um, what none of these people you, see is they exist at the suffering of yes. like the polite stranger. That is that is the social order coming to your fucking door. I just want to shout out Ethan Hawke's acting in that sequence specifically, which I, I wrote down that entire sequence. Um, and, and specifically throughout the film, his uses of okay, okay, and uh, good jobs, and like you're doing a great job. He's like such a fucking middle manager, such a salesman. Um, I, obviously, he, within the first 30 minutes, twice, he's like, it was a team effort. I think it was a team effort. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and But in general, he's like completely internalized this slimeball character who... <laughs> You know, is has been trained to reiterate like calming uh, phrases like "okay" and "and good job" and "it's going to be all right." Um, and he just deliver he sneaks them in. Like, I was I was trying to tr- transcribe that sequence, and I kept having to go back. I was like, did he say "okay" four times in that sentence? <laughs> and he did. And it's like he's they were just like it's like his breath. He breathes out an "okay." It's very good. But because again, it's, it's, it's like everything's okay. The fundamentals are not shaken here, right? right? Like we'll get through it because this is the way things should be. But the, this, but the, the moment where he is has to fall back on like his middle management, like train his, his assurances comes uh, right after the clip we watched where the lights in the house right go out and uh, to, to set up further context of the specific sequence because it's one of the most important sequences, like sort of in the whole film, is that the lights go out after the person. The, uh, has been let in. And I should mention, like, this, you know, the homeless, uh, uh, black homeless person is, n- is not given a name. He is, in IMDb, is credited as the bloody stranger. Right. Um, like, he is not, uh, in, in the text of the film, not given any sort of characterization. Um, he, he exists, like, largely as a plot device, um, which It's just a is, costume, basically. Yeah, yeah which is, you know, is, right? if you want to go into how, you know, uh, people of color, yeah, are, especially black people, are treated as characters in horror films. That's a whole other thing. I don't. I think this movie justifies its use of it because it is illustrating a point, as opposed to it's a th- most horror films. It's a thing uh, that I still. The- I'm, I, I know there are black leads in in the future films, and I'm glad there are because one of my notes is absolutely that this film is still is absolutely I think about uh, class struggle and about the way race uh, and, and racialization are used to to you know prop up the the haves over the have nots. But it does center on white affluent uh, white affluent yep. perspective in order to hit that target audience um, and. And, and in fact, the heart and soul of this film is 
will they be racists, right? Will they, <laughs> will they, it's about their struggle. Will they break bad, right? And, and, and it's their, um, it's, it is the family soul that we're supposed to care about more than this black dude's life. Uh, and, and, you know, I certainly care about the black dude's life. I'm, I, I'm certain there are lots of audience members who did, but the way the film is shot and the way the film is written is fundamentally, will this family give into this dark impulse? Uh, you know, this, this, their most selfish selves. And, I am super curious to see how the rest of the series uh, uh, adjusts going forward here. Yeah. yeah the ag- a- oh, go ahead now. Sorry. I was just going to say the agency is localized like in the family yeah. and they're 100%. The, even, even in the, in the few moments where, where um, the homeless man has a, like a opportunity of agency, it is usually either thwarted or in service of the family. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, to, to, to that end, like because now we're talking on this character, I think it's, he's worth expanding on. There is uh, another clip about uh, a sequence in the film where um, they finally find him and they lay out a little bit of how, <laughs> how they feel like this exchange uh, should go between the family and this stranger, I guess, bloody stranger who has appeared at uh, their doorstep. Into the hole, let's go. Drop your gun. Dad, please. Drop it. Don't hurt her, Lord. You will. Sylvia, I will not let him hurt you. Leave her alone. I will let you, you son of a bitch. I will okay. let you go when this night is over. You're gonna get us all killed. You know that they're coming in here and they are gonna kill us all. You know that. No, they are no, gonna no. come in here and they are. Okay. You gotta leave my family out of this, okay? If you don't drop your gun, I will hurt her and I will hurt you. We didn't do anything to you. We don't deserve this. I don't deserve this either. Now listen, I don't want to hurt any of you, but I am not dying tonight. Drop this gun, please. Drop it. Listen to me. The gun. Listen to me. Okay. You are going to die tonight, and you can either die like a man and walk outside there by yourself, or you can die like a coward and get my wife and my children killed along with you. Okay. So take that gun away from my daughter's head. Shoot him, Mary. Shoot him.
rope and we have to tie him up and get him outside and we're going to end this goddamn night. All right. But yeah, like this, this specific sequence in particular, like I think under, underlines a lot of what we were talking about here, like underlines again, both the political dynamics of the world at large and then also the the tension that Austin, you were, you know, sort of uh, alluding and discussing about, um, well, what will they do? Like what yeah. line will they or won't they cross? And I think this is also a sequence where like Ethan Hawke and like his acting like elevates a scene that could be played a lot of different ways. And when you start to transparently sort of see like in a lot of these types of films, like in moments like this, if you're remo- you know, this type of sequence in which an intruder comes in and then they are trying to deal with it. Very common in horror films. Um, yeah. And there is a then usually, you know, the man of the house, the you know, the leading man is the one stepping up, barking orders and like getting everyone in line. And what's interesting about what happens in this particular sequence is how so much about the, the subtle shots to the rest of the family in disbelief, the 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 way that Ethan Hawke does, does not come across as someone who is in command, control, or even feels very confident about like the things he's saying or doing, even as he's doing it in his most machismo way possible, like undercuts what he's saying because, you know, both don't believe him. And you can tell in the room that like no one, no one wants to go through with this. And yet uh, so much of that tension is like conveyed through the subtle shots and just sort of Ethan's uh, like those little things, like the okays, like the the way he sweats, like it conveys a lot about the family dynamics in in a way that is, is more than just the lines of dialogue. Um, I'm super interested to hear what Danielle and Natalie have to say about the gender dynamics of this scene and in general of this film. Um, but, but like for, because my reading on it is, I mean, my reading on it broadly is that this is, so the scene I'm talking about here is the one that follows in which he is tortured and uh, they decide to, to, they decide to, to kill him. They capture him. They tie him up. They get the duct tape and well, he, they can't kill him. They right, decide they can't kill that him. they... You're right, because they have to give right, him to so that he, this is, they him can get the purged. Wolves, right, feed him to yeah. the wolves, exactly. And in which... Um, uh, uh, what, what's the... James, James Sandin, uh, uh, Ethan Hawke tells Lena Headey, like, torture this guy, basically. Go get the letter opener and put it into his wound where he's been shot in the stomach. But to, like, keep him, like, to get him to like comply yes basically. Exactly. not just him. not, not just, just for like, fun yeah not just like or to, get, to get him to be quiet so yes. that you know um and that sequence is that is the sequence at which it is clear that that james is the only one who is bought in at this point to the purge and to you know he has to protect his family um and it is another clear sequence in which the loyalty and belief in the purge that that part of the ideology is being produced in the family unit by way of the the like lead patriarchal figure in their lives um and i actually think that there is like under it it reveals a sort of counter argument to the leviathan-esque like people at their natural state are actually terrible and mean and cruel and animalistic and instinctual and, and we need society to, to, to push us together and, and keep us uh, in, in our places because the actual like heart of these people is sympathetic, is empathetic. And I think it is uh, a sin that each of them in various ways, except for Charlie, I guess, throughout the course of the film, um, kind of is convinced by the ideology is is reproduced as to uh, into a proper american who believes in the purge for at least some part of the film um but the thing that i like about or this or they have no choice to participate because of this specific circumstance r- right exactly or, or they are they are they are cowed into into doing it by coerced or they're coerced, coerced into doing it through a threat of violence right like through a threat of violence or through established gender norms and and 
uh, power dynamics. Um, and that's what that sequence is for me. And, and also, and also like, this is the sequence at which I had to write down, like, oh, this is a movie about George Bush and the Iraq War. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. This is a movie that's a response to... Uh, this is the moment, the moment at which the kids are yelling at their parents to stop doing this thing, and the, the parents are saying this is the only way we can be safe, and, and they're saying that, like, you know, sometimes norms have to be broken, and sometimes you have to torture people to keep your family safe, is when, like, the blue flowers on the front, on the front door, and everything else kind of clicked into place for me, and I started to read the film as a referendum of, uh, of, of the Iraq War, and the break, the generational break in trust that came from like our generation with our parents' generation, and especially the the kind of white affluent uh, members of that generation, who who uh, and including a number of Democrats who went along with uh, the war in Iraq and who were very very hawkish uh, at that point in time. Um, obviously, the purge itself feels much more about capitalism and much more again about haves and have-nots and and all that. And and uh, but but this specific element of like generational distrust. And a a the like the slinking to the lowest of lows. It was so hard for me not to see that as just like, oh, okay, right. Like you're the white middle class people who thought it was chill to like invade the Middle East. Got you. Okay. And especially given that the victim here is a veteran. Yes, like, absolutely. It's specifically the, invoking yes. that military sort of uh, past. Totally, a hundred percent. Which I didn't notice until maybe this scene either that he had on the dog tags. You know. Yeah. Um. I forget um, which um, queer theorist writes about sort of the irrefutability of the family. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but the the fact that, because the thing that I was thinking about while you guys were saying all this is like, what if there was no family excuse? Like, what if it was just Ethan being threatened? Like, it is very easy to justify the... the, uh, the protection and sanctity of the family unit because that is like wholly american um the the uh um you know the american dream is is you know being able to support and and raise a family in a in a neighborhood where you know whatever um so that was something that i kept kind of toying with in my head and i wonder if that like in the future films you know I, I believe like they're like groups of friends or things like that. So I wonder how those like social structures are cha- will change. But the thing that, um, you know, you can always go, you can always fall back on and, and something I worry about in like the, in the way that we watch these types of films is if you, if you always have like the, the um, cornerstone of like the family unit, how can you argue with that? Like, and, and the way that you argue with that is, is, you know, <laughs> it's this person is a person too like i don't know it's like the it's like the there's one point where ethan hawk says you know or somebody says in the film uh you know it's one life for all of ours and so then it's like being quantified and like okay one is obviously less than four (laughs) or whatever you know like that's just math natalie (laughs) that's math hot math (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah so i i just you know, I I wonder if if a family wasn't on the line, what would Ethan have like gone in? Would the ideology be so ingrained that, or or would he be like out there purging? I don't know, because the family kind of, you know, they're not purging because, you know, 
I feel like they want to be like good representatives or good role models for their kids, and and well, there is a line where like they like the the son asks, uh, yeah, um, like why aren't you out there? And he said, well, we don't feel the need. If we did, we would. And the the wife, like Lena Hetty, seems deeply uncomfortable with like she doesn't seem to be like buying onto that. She's mostly just you know in a patriarchal sort of fashion, just like okay, sure, yeah, why, okay, honey, um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. I I will say in that in that scene where, um, throughout the film, Lena I think is so convincing as someone who has never engaged, like is really just a, a you know a suburban like does not have experience with with like you know using these types of guns and and you know how to like engage in you know violent combat she she's really just you know a a kind of typical person that that is uncomfortable with this primarily and also like doesn't know how to go about it and that's why you know ethan coaching her is is so kind of disturbing because it is not her nature and it is not something that uh, she seems to have any experience in and but ethan is like full like I don't know. He's got. He's like Holds got it down. Yeah, he's like. He's like very much. He's been waiting for this moment in some way. Like fuck yeah, let's yeah. get those guns. Yeah, yeah, he like had. He was like ready to go and was just like clearing out rooms. He's got like I don't know. It was just shotgun. there was such an. True. Yeah, that True. that shotgun was crazy. <laughs> it's like um, an overhand grip. I've never seen anything it was like, like it. Yeah, that I was like, I wonder if they're putting that in PUBG because I'd really like to see what that, <laughs> what that plays like, but. Um, but the ease at which, I mean, there, obviously there are like moments where he struggled, but the ease at which he was able to clear out like, you know, rooms of people or, or like engage in in one-on-ones was like super, I don't know, that's where the kind of fantasy is, is that like you will, when this happens, you will be hyper capable to to uh, protect your family and you know if it's your family at all cost you will be able to do whatever it's like the adrenaline rush or whatever that you're supposed to get i don't know danielle you had mentioned yeah. something before i want to i want to take off that a tiny bit with regards to family and sort of gender roles um i found the women characters in this movie both like really instructive and really frustrating um, <laughs> of, of you know of what the movie is trying to do i don't yeah. think it was necessarily I, I don't know. I can't necessarily speak to this. I don't necessarily think it was lazy writing. I think it was very much using tropes. You know, there are people in this movie that are basically characters, and there are people in this movie who are just stereotypes, who are just running around as sort of uh, an archetype for something. And the two sort of main women in the movie are a, a woman who goes from being typical suburban housewife who cares a lot about carbs to protective mama bear. She kind of goes from one trope to the other with nothing else really offering characterization. <laughs> Zoe is even less characterized. She's just a horny teenager. Like, that's it. She, I guess she plays piano. That's, like, the one note we get that she's, like, a good student. <laughs> I don't even yeah. remember Yeah, she's clearly that. had, like, she's, well, in the first scene where you see her room, she has, like, trophies everywhere. So it's yeah. clear that she's, like, been under a lot of pressure from her right. parents throughout right. her she's life. She's an achiever. She's, yes. like, yeah, very much like an overachiever. But Charlie has a character. Charlie right. has some agency. Charlie uh, has much more in-depth conversations with his parents about what this thing is. And he actually is an interesting sort of inversion. Like, I think what the movie is trying to do at the very, very beginning with Charlie is sort of show his that, oh, maybe he's the creepy, violent kid, that he's going to have a, a violent outburst. Because he has that really creepy little, yeah. I forget what he calls it, the little Timmy, the car Tommy, with the doll. Something is it like Tommy? that. 
It's one of those. Timmy? It's Timmy or Timmy, Tommy. I think it's Timmy. Yeah. Timmy. But yeah, it's, it's almost like setting him up to be like a little creepy. He's obsessed he writes, with his vital signs. He's, right. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, well, no, no, no. Yeah, totally. He, the vital signs, the writing, that was the one that stuck out to me. It was like, I wrote this story, story. about someone who had to cut their own heart out because they felt too much. Which, right. Which is him, right? He is the one right. who thinks he is broken. Exactly. And like he ends up being this very sweet, sensitive person who is the only one who shows real compassion, at least... His compassion is the inciting incident for the whole movie. And obviously, Ethan Hawke, you get into his, like, genuinely deeply held uh, ideology about the perch. But the women are just kind of there to be catalysts for things and or, you know, to show, not necessarily in a negative way, but very much to show the sort of protective mother stereotype or the protective mama bear kind of thing. That is uh, the reason why I get a little bit frustrated with Aliens as a movie and why Alien is better is that it doesn't necessarily get into that. It just has somebody be a survivor and not necessarily in a gendered way. Whereas it goes into the whole mother thing at the end, which I, I know that's taking off of something else, but that's very much what the women are here for in this entire movie. That and also, I think the only other woman who has more than like two speaking lines is the jealous neighbor, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. she just is a another you know, one. avaricious yeah, another trope with stereo you know, exactly. Uh huh. Yes. <laughs> I just Absolutely. Danielle, I'm so th- I'm so thankful you brought up the carbs because that exchange at the beginning of that movie, they're like, this food is amazing, isn't it? Not one carb, not one. Yep, is- not one. <laughs> That's families right there. That's what conversation is. So good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing I'll just say yeah. oh, about Charlie now. real quick. I like to, it's playing around with this idea. So a lot of this movie is like the thing you think you fear or the thing you think you should fear or worry about and then the thing that's actually coming for you. And, like, Charlie is depicted as, like, there's that alienated youth, you know, just <laughs> always with his screens and gadgets, no connection to the people around him. And what he sees through his screens is the yeah. world. And his family doesn't. His dad's out there in the world. He's making deals. He's making things happen. He's you know, knows the neighbors, except he doesn't really. Rob, it was a team effort, please. Thank you. They yeah. made the deals <laughs> together. So, Charlie is like technology connects him to the world. He relates to the world through technology and that's different, but it still hasn't diminished his capacity for empathy. It's increased it. And these social conventions, the whole like, you know, let's sit down and have a, have a conversation as a family. Uh, Ethan Hawke has this thing under his breath where he's like, we're not listening to each other. That's what I'm hearing. Or something like that. When, like, he's always like, fuck off, Dad. And he's like, I think I know what you're really saying. And it's like, no, you don't. Uh, but the other thing is that even off character can also see like you know into the world through the screens and stuff, but he doesn't know what he's looking at. Like there's that there's that little beat where he sees the two neighbors take off into the night with like just kitted out to go to fucking war. And he's like, Oh, they're purging together? That's bold. Are they are they friends? And uh, Lena Headey's character is like, uh, no, I don't think so. And it's our first clue that like these people don't know where they like. They don't know anything about the people around them. They're in a community, but like not really. And I think that's one of the other things that I really in- enjoy about this movie is like the ideology that the polite stranger represents. It's this project of atomizing society. And destroying the things that unite us, destroying collective interests. And so, like, we've already seen, like, basic political institutions gone, replaced by the purge, right? Uh, The idea of, like, community, your neighbors, also basically, like, destroyed, certainly by the end of the movie. But really, from the first, like, you know, there's a neighbor sharpening machete. What's that all about? You know, people taking (laughs) off, like, to go purging. Uh, That's weird. 
Uh, I think, like, even Zoe, uh, to an extent, is, like, there is this doubt, at least for me, watching the film, after her shitty boyfriend gets himself shot, because <laughs> um, he, he was absolutely there to, like, kill her dad, and... Yep. Uh, that was so fucking... Yeah. <laughs> Harry, what are you doing here on Purge Night? Oh, I just wanted to talk to your dad, babe. So I had a one-on-one man-to-man <laughs> talk with your father about why we should date. Age gap isn't a thing. You're mature. Anyway, where's your dad? Let we me We're mature him. quicker, right? That's yeah. what I always heard. God! Fuck but, off. But the moment, like, kid gets shot, and there's this part of me that's wondering, like, is Zoe about to break bad? Right? Like, is right, the family right. unit even a unit anymore? Or is it about to fracture and, like, the purge is going to, like, shear through this family? It doesn't, but it has to enter your mind. And I think that's one of the points of this movie is, like, you know, it, it reminded me of something that um, Russell Brown can, can suck, a, you know, quite a bit. But, like, he wrote a pretty good piece about Thatcher when, when she died. And he has some good lines in it. And one of the things he says is, if you behave like there's no such thing in society, in the end there isn't. Uh, all of us that grew up under Thatcher were taught that it is good to be selfish, that other people's pain is not your problem, that pain is in fact a weakness and suffering is deserved and shameful. And I think that's kind of like, that's the society of the purge. And eventually it comes home and it's in your home, or at least you have to worry about it. Yeah. And uh, I think one of the, uh, around this scene that we're talking about, and the one that ties a lot of this stuff together is, um, when the, the lights go out, there's uh, – in the moment where Ethan Hawke's character is sort of uh, stumbling in his explanation of, like, what's – what may be happening next for them, um, he has a line that says – in his panic, he says, like, things like this aren't supposed to happen yeah. in our neighborhood. Yeah. Um, which I, I think underscores a lot of, like, the family's reactions from there is, like, the beginning of their unraveling of, like, their tenuous relationship with the ideology in which, like, you know, Lena Hedy's character is underwritten, but I also don't want to let her off the hook because, like, essentially a lot of their unraveling is the the, the way they seem to push against Ethan Hawke's connection to the ideology and even their participation in it is because they've never actually seriously engaged with it. They've never had to deal with the consequences of the ideology. Part of the reason you get the, 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 uh, the impression, the reason they don't purge is they do disagree with it, but they sure as hell love benefiting from it. <laughs> And the moment that they are forced to deal with any sort of actual consequence of the purge is them realizing the consequences of an ideology. Yeah. Because, like, so much of our modern politics, so much of the, you know, as we were, as I was speaking before about, like, the, the, the way the, the modern Republican ideology works is, like, well, if you just don't, if you just don't, if you just pretend it doesn't exist, if you can just distance yourself from it, if you can dehumanize it, then, well, is it actually a consequence? Um, and like this movie is this grappling with like um, it when your ideology comes, the consequence of the ideology comes to your front door, what would you actually do? Um, and the movie doesn't have like very messy answers to what people would do because I think you genuinely would have people that would say, yeah, fuck it. Like that is actually what I wanted. And then you have other people that go, oh, wow, shit, that's actually what's happening. And like this is the first time that a, this family is dealing with the actual like unraveling of like why they, they put the blue flowers out, but like, what does that actually mean? And like, well, it means this. 
Yeah, the fortress is like maybe a uh, 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 maybe this is where, where it may be a little uh, hamfisted uh, as a as an allegory or analogy of just like oh right they've closed themselves into their fortress but the but society comes for them and opens the door and suddenly they can see things but it works I, I'm here for it you know like I, I <laughs> horror film genre genre in general often is a place of big bold. Uh, brushstrokes um right and i think as rob said earlier this is a film that holds up surprisingly well because it is loud in a way that at the time you did not think you needed to be but in retrospect we see we should have been louder you know we actually probably needed more things that were that were saying no 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 no, no. this path goes here this is where the path goes or this is where in some ways we are already at with well-meaning folks who think that it is enough to support the troops, but maybe, you know, not agree on paper that they should be themselves involved in the, <clears throat> in the military industrial complex or something. Right. Um, uh, and I, 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 it, it just worked for me. Like it, it, I have, again, some concerns. I still think that like, uh, I still think for instance, the film, there are moments in the film is trying to, prey on the white on the presumed white audience's fear of blackness and black men um but i also think that the film intends to subvert that expectation obviously right so like even even when i have uh, when i have lines of criticism uh, in the same way that i think agreed a hundred percent that i think the women are just not made agents in this film the men are also made to be fucking villains and that's not equal that doesn't undo the lack of agentic women in this film but it is it is a thing that is like I, I think that those sorts of double movements, the like the double backing on what it sets up the trope and it leaves some tropes in place, but other tropes that it uses it then undercuts again, like the creepy like the creepy son or like the the heroic father figure who is by the end of this film just like not worth he shouldn't be alive like I he is just as much of a villain he's the cause of this thing fundamentally right so um, I. I I left it conflicted, but but still fairly positive. Yeah, uh, is... Rob, I wanted. Oh, go ahead, Natalie. Oh. Or was that Danielle? Oh, sorry, Danielle. Oh, sorry, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> I wasn't looking at the screen. Just to just to um, briefly, uh, you know, support that. I also do think there are, there are moments in this film indulges a little bit. Um, I you know I wrote down a note of like, oh, the change of heart. Uh, you know, in the scene where they're torturing the the homeless veteran. Oh, the change of heart only happened after she stabbed him twice. Like it was, it's a very like, oh, so the movie got to have that gratuitous moment before there was that, you know, big change of heart. Like, so there, I do think there are ways in which it's like, oh, we're going to be like an exploitative, you know, scene or like a, we're going to be a a cheesy horror movie for a minute here before we go back to sort of the social commentary. So yeah, Yeah. I I agree completely with that. Uh, I want to give Rob a moment to indulge Uh, before we started this chat. uh, (laughs) Rob was... Ah! Pasting some diagrams, some reading material about how to protect oneself in, in a fortress. And uh, Rob is the our, our senior tactics correspondent uh, at Waypoint. <laughs> how did you feel about the way they set up this house? Oh, and then once the house was invaded, you know, their, their choices on how to how to deal with these people. Uh, it was a very distressing film to watch. Uh, on that score. <laughs> Um, I found it really disturbing uh, the way this guy had gone about, like, protecting his house and his family and his castle and possessions, really. Um, no, it. I was just so frustrated because this whole movie's different. If, like, how. Okay. Uh huh. Let's talk through it, Rob. Let's go right. Tactical Tuesdays. Let's go. So. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you need to have some capacity. 
to execute an act of defense. Walls are not good enough in a siege because sure. if people can just walk up to the walls and start fucking with them, then you have what that is is assault, and you have no way of deterring that. You need a way, like, and if you can't deter a head-on assault, then you can't survive a siege. If people can just, given enough time, like, the solution to this is just, like, hitch a trailer up to the door and, like, pull it off. That's all (laughs) it fucking takes. Like, you've got all these guns. You sell these security systems. How do you not put in, like, uh, loopholes or, you know, embrasures? Stuff like that. Stuff where you can shoot out of the home. Never occurs to the guy. It's just like, well, these walls will keep me safe. And it's like, unless people fuck with it. You dumbass. Are the, are the regular walls even reinforced? Like, the not, like, the things that, the, where the, the steel overcloses is like windows and doors. If I just wanted to, like, knock on the dude's bedroom wall, is that just like drywall? Like, what is it? Yeah. What's it anchored to? Yeah. What I don't is think it anything. anchored to? Uh, Rob, what do you think about the lack of internal cameras or any sort of audio, like, AV system where you could communicate internally? Do you think that was a, a mistake here? Yeah, I think... Um, Sorry to be, like, I, I, we're doing, like, a halftime show. What do you think of the lack of, <laughs> of, of safe room? Like, the most basic, yeah. just one safe room. Oh, one safe room would have solved the thing. Jodie Foster would have told Panic you all room that. Owns. That is a movie I just watched. I couldn't stop thinking about it. Like, Jodie Foster doesn't have shit in that movie. She barely knows what her own home looks like. She's, like, literally moved in. She ends up in a fucking, like, safe room, a panic room. And she's like, I got this. Like, we can can work this, right? And what does she do? She also goes out there and, like, gets shit done because you can't just ride this out because people will fuck with it. Uh, No, and honestly, like, I do have a complaint here that relates to a little something that just bothers me about the film which is once you move into the sort of stage where like people are trying to break in you really need to have established very well the internal layout of the home with establishing Mm. shots like the camera choreography Mm. you need a sense for how this is all going to flow if you don't have that then the action becomes less coherent and therefore less suspenseful and so this is a case where like i'm not saying i needed the um you know, Saving Private Ryan, Captain Miller breakdown of the terrain. Like, you had an entire movie to <laughs> lay out have. what the terrain is. Yeah, But yeah. I think the movie ends up falling a little flat once it's supposed to get, like, at its most exciting, where the bullets are flying, people are breaking in. It's not disorienting in a way that's, like, horrific. It's disorienting in a way that's kind of frustrating. Because you, like, half understand the layout of the home. But you're not, like, a key moment is he separates from his wife. He's like, I'm going to defend this side, you defend that side. The moment that happens, they might as well be in two separate action movies. I have no 100%. sense for how their two like like threads uh, connect, and that is totally. a problem. It felt like two different sets on the same stage. You know what I mean? Like, oh, this is the game room set. What was and that rec room? Spun the camera. Where did that come from? Who knows? What there was never a scene there before. Like, I didn't know they had a pinball machine in that house. <laughs> Who's playing pinball over here? Um, I, yeah, I think that was definitely a big thing. And then, and then, I, I, and it's frustrating because the film has the opportunity to do that. Because or I think I understand their I understand their upstairs fairly well because it's it's like the hallway and then bedrooms. But the downstairs is just a mess. Yet at the same time, the film spends a lot of, of minutes in the first half, the first two thirds of the film, with people leaving the safety of the shared room to go wander around in the dark by oh themselves over and over again, uh, in a way that is just like 
one, it's like classic don't do that horror movie thing, but also two, like, <laughs> despite that, we still don't get the tour of the house. Um, and I really wish, I, you know, early on I, I thought I was going to write something and I was going to have more notes about, like, blah, 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 domesticity and the production of American households and et cetera, et cetera. But I just don't because we don't get enough of the house in this movie about a home invasion, which is traditionally a thing you get a lot of in a movie about home invasion. Something did just occur to me. Yes. This might, though, I, like, here's an argument for interpreting why this feels this way. A Absolutely. big deal Let's of this movie it. is made about the big addition they just put on their own home. Again, oh, true. S- like, see, see further, there. McMansion yeah. hell, this is never a good yeah. idea. It never fits well. It never blends. It never feels like an actual, like, organic attachment to the home. It feels exactly like what it is. Whoa, we got a big bonus check. Fuck it. Let's stack another house on top of our existing house. That'll be dope. <laughs> they only have two kids. What are they doing? Right. So, and so, like, may, like to a degree, I, the, I still think it's a flaw that the movie feels this way. But there is an element of... In that latter half, when it's time to defend the home, a lot of that place doesn't feel like a home. A lot of it feels like, oh shit, what's this room doing here? Like, he wanders into his rec room, and he seems disoriented by it, too. Like, he ends up, like <laughs> that's where things go wrong, is he just, like, he has lost complete track of what's happening. Because, like, he's in this weird, it even still looks like it's covered in sheetrock, to a degree, or thinly painted sheetrock. Yeah. Like, so, you know. Didn't they just move? They're not like the understanding that I got is that they were not like a part of the like they're not the other people that live here because the other people that live here have lived here for a long time. I think they moved here like now, like I would say like two years ago or something was my vibe. It was long enough that they remember like the beginning they ask about um, there's like a purge party. Yeah, like one of that they didn't get Grace's purge party. Yeah, they (laughs) They did did not not get get invited invited to. to. Very rude. Um, So it's like if it's an annual party. At least you three know, like years, something right? you're thinking about. You've probably been there at least three years, you know, where it becomes part of your calendar. Yeah. Yeah. Which um, makes sense for the animosity, like, you know, the, the the established community seeing, like, the new people come in, and they are obviously accelerating at a much faster rate. Well, and specifically, and they off, uh, sold security systems yes. to Profiting, that entire neighborhood. Yeah. But, yeah. but also, I didn't really understand the animosity behind that because presumably, like... Presumably, the security systems that you bought, it's not like he sold them all, like, fancy new cars. Like, the security systems that you bought are supposed to be in service to you, will protect you, have, like, a a real benefit. Oh, clearly not, because they're trash, but... (laughs) Right, um, right. But at least the the assumption is that... that, whatever like this this product that he's selling at least he is like the tra- he's like the salesman obviously which is kind of you know grimy and and self-serving but at least the product is is in service to you um so i didn't really like i don't know i, I was kind of the i think that the it's a it's one of those things where i think it's a it's a middle class anxiety that Everyone is agreed to the purge because it's 1% unemployment and because there's this there's the promise of the purge and living with the purge is upward mobility for everybody. That the that there will be a rising tide and that all boats will lift. Theirs have not lifted, right? Like uh, they are still They're going, doing fine. Yeah, of, of like course they, they are. Of course they are, but they've been somebody's promised doing better. That they'll be doing but great. But the rich, the rich are still going to eat the rich, right? right? Like that's and and it's, so for these new people to show up, ten years, where did they even come from? They're not old money. They're not from you know uh, uh, 
uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They're not they're not from uh, wealth, right? Um, mm-hmm. They showed up. They sold everybody something something that is proven to not work uh, particularly. And there's well. a, there's a, there's a specific line. Um, it's what you're talking about where they where they he makes the uh, Ethan Hawke's character is looking at a tablet. And they're thinking about buying a boat, right. like a boat that like could fit a car, yeah. Yeah. Um, like very extravagant, you know, tens of millions of dollars. Um, and he mentions 10 years ago, we couldn't make rent. Right. Yeah. So like the arc of this family in a decade is clearly like, you know, you know, middle class, lower middle class right. to too deeply after. Right. And my point is not that's enough to go kill people over if you're also <laughs> wealthy. My point is the thing I think that the film is trying to do is suggest that there are multiple types of violences to be done and multiple types of reactions to that violence. But the thing that causes this affluent community to turn in on itself is the violence that reveals that the promise that they've all agreed to, the promise that's been made to all of them, that they are all upwardly mobile, affluent white Americans, or there, there's a one black lady in there, right? Uh, but uh, that that promise, that that part of the ideology is in fact a fucking lie, right? That there is a roof that not everyone can be billionaires. That there will always be the the exception who makes it further than you. That there that that the one percent is is truly that much more wealthy even than the the top five percent. Right. That there's such a leap there that is it's unbelievable. It's it's so hard to understand that like the person who makes a hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year or five hundred thousand dollars a year is like a whisper to compare to what the billionaires of this of this country have. Um, and I think it's the in confronting that truth is is what is setting them off more than they got a new ad- the, the new addition on the house the pro- the prospect of buying a boat those are those are uh, kind of weapons or tools that reveal that mm-hmm. the the whole thing is built on a fucking sham right mm-hmm. uh, all right Rob before we get we get to your thing we're gonna set up my this my last clip this this conversation we're happening like is this is one of my favorite scenes in the film um, and we'll kick it to you Rob but this is during the the very end of the film. Um, it's a, it's a moment where they're all at the table after all of the, uh, uh, the, um, the cards in front of the table. There's been the twist where the, the neighbors have revealed that they, uh, are here to fuck with them. And, uh, here we go. Did you enjoy Grace's purge party? Mr. Halverson. Fuck yourself. Sorry, I can't hear you. It was very nice. Okay. I'm glad you all had a grand time. Now get the hell out of my house. 
I don't think this movie's weird with women at all. <laughs> that was absolutely my favorite scene too. Oh, word? Why? Yeah. What was the what what stood out? I wanted that movie. Really? Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> Grace versus uh, Mary showdown in the purge. I don't know. I mean, obviously, like I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> I I get the whole like why are we pitting women against women? But this lady sucked. Like she was just <laughs> like she was so. She's like the most like superficial like. Her sort of like her slight to to Mary is is by not inviting her to her party. You know, it's it's like it's like neighborhood gossip, and so they're they have no real substantial relationship. Um, so I didn't see any sort of like I I I had a feeling she was gonna come back from like the first like the cookies or whatever. Like I was like this lady. Nobody's just dropping off cookies without, you know, wanting to rub them in your face later. Like, there's a reason behind <laughs> this. Um, but I love that scene because uh, Lena is just so done with it all. And she's just like, and I really wanted, I I, I don't want to say that I wanted that from the start because I, I don't think, because that Lena would have just absolutely, I don't know. But she has this alliance with, with the the homeless veteran at this point where like after she like low key tor- high key tortures him yeah absolutely tortures absolutely him. high key tortures him <laughs> now they've like established like an alliance <laughs> which is kind of confusing but like you got to survive so i don't know it's so fucking messy like is what i'll say is it, it like their relationship is really fucking messy because she is like easily forgiven because he is in a place where he needs to just fucking survive and get the fuck out of there. And so clearly that alliance is like advantageous to him, but then he protects her. Um, and then like becomes like in service to her and her family, which is like, I don't know. That is strange. So I don't actually know if I really like this scene, but I, <laughs> but I, in the moment I liked it because I was like, Finally, the fucking purge is over, and like this—it's well, a—it's a cathartic release. Yeah, so, yeah it's like, definitely it definitely feels ab- absent cathartic. the politics and like what it says about the gender dynamics. But Rob, you—you you had a point you were trying to make before. I wanted to make sure and give you a chance to revisit no, and, that. and sorry if I'm hopping around back here. I've just had an entire pot of coffee, so I'm like jacked up on Hell caffeine. Yeah. Uh, also, I really enjoyed that uh, Natalie's like live textual analysis where she like 180'd on a scene like over the course of talking about it. Like, <laughs> you know, of course, it seems really That's awesome. How my brain works. But wait, hold on. <laughs> but this, is, this is what I mean when I always say, like, this is why it's important to be critical. And criticality means, like, being an active viewer instead of a passive one. Because passively, that scene fucking rocks. She hits that. She's like, boom, shotgun. And that's cool. Yeah. It's a Batman moment. It's a Batman it's moment. Batman. That's exactly it. Yeah. Uh, but then we got to turn on the brain sometimes. It's tough. But, um. Yeah. I don't. Totally. But <laughs> I, I think one of the. Rob's brain is always on. That's what that pot of coffee <laughs> yeah. is for. <laughs> textual analysis genius uh, no so I think something I love about the dynamics of that neighborhood is that again like the security systems the gated community all of this is a metaphor for like what is this worldview trying to build towards 
entrenching yourself at the top of the class structure as close as you can get to it. And just for the love of God, don't let me and my family plunge back into the, like, you know, teeming masses, right? That's, that is what everyone is terrified of happening. This is the, the middle class and security aspect of this. But I do love that these folks who you can almost bet subscribe to, you know, probably love capitalism, you know, love, you know, love that, love the system that has enriched them. Um, the minute they see somebody starting to surpass them, collectivism comes out. Like literally like <laughs> when, like yeah. the thing that Grace says is, you know, there's a lot of people saying that this neighborhood paid for that addition on your house. And there it is, right? It's, uh-huh. it's that, well, wait, hold on. Where's our share? Like if if you're doing so well, really isn't isn't it a community that does this? Don't we don't we all share in this? And it's the who is the we in this? For them it matters like well people like us. Obviously we deserve to share and share like amongst ourselves because, you know, we're the same. And it's not fair for somebody to suddenly leave us behind or surpass us. And I just I just kind of love that all these folks completely like reveal themselves as complete hypocrites. Uh, over the course of this movie, not that that's a surprise, like you don't get to the purge without society getting all fucked up and hypocritical, but I do really enjoy the entitlement that all these people display before the end, right? That this this whole notion <laughs> of like, hey, you're on your own, man, pay, you know, buy your own security system. The minute they see somebody like with a <laughs> with a nice fucking addition and like floor to ceiling windows, they're like, all right, time to murder. <laughs> <laughs> gotta go yep. you know uh raise the red banner neighborhood yeah yep. god you can always be the victim somehow i i appreciate i do appreciate that this is like the final the true villain is revealed is not to just be the like prep school killers the the, the like yeah the, the moneyed droogs um but instead like the neighborhood itself and and though the other the other people in your own class right um uh, it was. It was. I'm not saying like that's like a big important takeaway, but I do think that it was important to escalate in a way that was like, oh no, we cannot simply. It is not simply the head of the snake that is the problem. The snake is a worm, right? Like it's going to come at us from from uh, even from the from the middle, you know. Uh, and that is that is that is something to think about. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll link it in the the show notes. But there's uh, this essay I read about it was one of the later Purge films um, by Andrew Johnson over a movie, uh, movie Mezzanine, um, and one of the lines uh, from it uh, is that unlike most genre fare, the Purge films don't have a specific character as a true villain. Instead, it's a belief system or even human nature itself, or belief systems about human nature. And I think that's like what the the ending gets around to is that it'd be very convenient and easy. And most of home invasion films are just about wrong place, wrong time. Some, mm shitty people show up and you know bad things happen and that does happen but that is just a consequence of an ideology that is playing out Mm -hmm. as opposed to just some bad people just happen to pick your house that night um it's a it's a rolling effect of choices that people made um uh it's not clear in this movie it becomes more clear world building happens in the subsequent films where we find a little bit more about like the state of democracy and the political system and how the founding fathers came about um but you know it's i I do like that this the ending reestablishes that like these people have choices they have agency they have decided that this this is not an outside group that came in and put this upon them like they chose to believe in this and to participate and 
this time you got fucked, but like, don't pretend that you didn't choose for this to happen. Yeah. All right. Any other final thoughts? Any, anything else that people didn't manage to, to get out of the course of our conversation? Um, no. no. Address my I, notes. I'll take a uh, look. Shout, out to, big shout notes? out to Chris Mulkey, who is the one playing Mr. Havelston or whatever, who is Hank from Twin Peaks. Uh, yep. Oh, that's right. A character actor in a billion oh, yeah. films. Yeah, who plays this character a lot. Um, Wait, who's Hank? Uh, the uh, diner owner's uh, man, husband who's in jail for man's letter. Hank. <laughs> Hank looks good. Yeah, that, I Hank hate looks good. Hank. Hank looks all Hank's, right. Hank's got you know? that party in back that you're like, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm on a party. Yeah, Hank's hot, but he's a bad man. Yeah. Welcome to Twin Peaks, honestly. <laughs> um. I had a, some things about, I mean, I thought it was interesting that the first Purge group were like not kids but like young adults Uh um and and that ties very easily i think into like the entire like they're the way that they go about the purge is like in this very like playful they like Uh have like a lot of like there's a lot of scenes of like them being very childlike um which i i think that's just for sort of like the I don't think there's a, maybe anything really deep there other than like it's an a per, it's a perversion of that like childlike that 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 in our childness which lends itself to the human nature thing that there is a violence in that like in our sort of like at our our when we're children we're supposed to be like our core selves right like no not, not yet tainted by like we're our most like human selves without without any sort of like molding by society or whatever and the fact that like in that childness there is violence i think that's that's probably Where the they're extent going of for it. it yeah yeah um the female freak who runs around and skips around is very oh yeah, yeah female freak yeah. that's like the character's name i think is female yeah in my in my subtitles it said yeah. female oh, freak God. yeah yep. um the yeah. the i think that speaks to also to danielle's point earlier about them as being like prototypical alt-right um because again at the time if you look at them as if you look at like the wealth disparity thing and you look at the people who were um and if you you try to to compare to the tea party or something the tea party was mostly middle-aged folks was like the alt-right is specifically like powered by the meme creation and online efforts of young people Uh, and i think that that supports danielle's read there pretty well i I will introduce one thing which is one note of skepticism about everything we've just said for the last few hours around the class reading and everything else which is which i just remembered because of the, the the tea party thing i just said um which is at the time that this rolled out so a thing that happens in, in storytelling a lot, uh, and especially I'd say in the last 10 years, is a sort of storytelling that is meant to be allegorical, but is broad enough in its allegory that audiences can uh, flock to it regardless of politics and produce a reading that is sympathetic for themselves. I think Hunger Games is really high up on this list that uh, in the film, at least I've not read the books, um, but in the films, it's easy to read the you know the the powers that be as being either right-wing fascistic uh uh you know corporatists or as being big government uh elites um and i i do i will say that there are moments here and again i'm curious to see how things shake out in the next few films where 
you know, the, some of the language that's described around what the purge is, around who was killed by the purge, is reminiscent of some of the conversation around death panels as tied to the Affordable Care Act, uh, aka Obamacare. Um, a lot of that language is actually in line with Tea Party rhetoric, um, and it's easy to talk about. It's easy for us on a podcast like this to think about things like the haves and have-nots as breaking down into kind of you know Marxist groupings of of, of capitalists, bourgeois, and 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 proletariat. But like. That same style of breakdown is what is used by the right when talking to working class voters in terms of creating the the elite, uh, the coastal elites, the hyper educated, etc. And so it's easy. It would be there's potentially another reading of this film in which, uh, you know, the hero is a war vet. Uh, the the people who are who are corrupt are the those who've climbed the ladder too quickly, uh, who are taking advantage of other working working people. Um, it is it is prep school boys and girls uh, who are presumably you know the the sons and daughters of of the well educated elites. Um, and and I don't think that it I think that it resists that reading here and there. I think that if I had to if I had to err on one reading or the other, it would be the one that we've offered here. But I do think that there are moments where it is a, it is it is a little too non-committal, or not too non-committal, but it is it is not committing, and therefore I can imagine those other readings taking place. Um, and I'm curious to see because I know a little bit about what the films are to follow if that becomes something that is easier to to shake out, uh, you know, as we get more about the world and more about how the purges came to be and etc. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll find out more of that in the uh, weeks to come uh, as we work our way through. Um, we're still figuring out the structure, whether we're going to dedicate whole podcasts to each movie. Like, I think we'll, we'll do the ne- we'll do a full podcast for the, the second movie. Is Anarchy? It's, it's, Is that the next one? Yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. Um, and uh, that's when the, st- the, 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 the series starts uh, pointing sort of like the protagonist eyes at, like, different classes of people. And so we'll see how we feel and shake out whether we want to, like, do three and four together. We'll kind of see uh, how we feel there. But um, that's going to do it for Untitled Rewatch <laughs> Podcast. Waveforms, that's so one of much. our names we've been throwing around. <laughs> Waveforms isn't bad. Waveforms, yeah. I haven't heard that one. Hell yeah. It's, it's, uh, it. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. see. Let us let us know. I'm into um, it. Austin, are we thanking Mellow for the music? Thanking Mellow, uh, Too Mellow for the music. You can you can find Too Mellow on uh, Bandcamp at Too Mellow Makes the number two and then M E L L O Makes M A K E S dot Bandcamp dot com. Uh, and you can find Mellow on Twitter also at uh, Twitter dot com slash. Is it Too Mellow Makes there too, or is it just Mellow Makes? I, I, I think it's it Mellow I just hit the tweet button instead, so let me delete that. Uh, uh, it is at Mellow Makes on Mellow Twitter. M E L L O Makes on Twitter. All right. Well, and you can follow all of us. You can follow me at Patrick Klubik. Natalie, where can people follow you? At Natalie Watson. Rob. At Rob Zachney. Danielle. At Danielle R I. Austin at Austin underscore Walker, and if you want to see actual tactical defense and and strategic brilliance, you can watch Rob <laughs> Zachney and I play XCOM Two: War of the Chosen on Twitch.tv slash Waypoint on Tuesdays. The archives go up over on YouTube.com slash Waypoint Vice. All right, we'll be back. Uh, well, I guess when this goes up, what the next week will be the next movie. Yep. So this will those will go sequentially uh, uh, from there. So yeah, you uh, all these uh, are available. 
on various, I don't, none of them are streaming at the moment when I was uh, looking around, um, but you can watch a lot of these for pretty cheap on YouTube and iTunes and places like that. So the next one is, yeah, 2014's The Purge Anarchy. They're all written and directed by the same guy. A lot of horror films end up passing on to different folks, but he has been um, sort of the guiding voice on, on this going forward. So uh, we'll uh, talk to you soon. I'll leave you with this. Blessed be the new founding fathers. <laughs> Gross. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.